yeah, I get those emails all the time and they just make me laugh. No matter how many I discard, block, unsubscribe. Yep. Somebody's teaching that sales tactic somewhere. Well, it is interesting because I got, I think as Jerry was saying, I think he'll be back, but as Jerry was saying earlier, the, um, and I think it was you that called it out to you get the email that says, I don't know if you're just ignoring me, but here's the fifth email to tell you what a great deal I can get you. That's right. That's right. I got, I got yeah. one. Uh, I got one last week that said, uh, you have been pre-approved to apply. And I was like, pre-approved to apply to something. Yeah. How magnanimous uh, that you, you've approved yeah. me to apply to be considered, which is kind of interesting. I got one yesterday that said, you've been selected for a fellowship. And I was like, huh. And then I opened it up and it was like um, a fellowship to take a class to increase the number of leads we'll get. <laughs> like they're, they're just running out of creative options at this point. You were, were you hoping for a fellowship of the ring? Is that maybe? I guess. I don't know. We're on a Lord of the Ring bender uh, over the course oh, yeah. of a holiday to do a marathon, Thanksgiving. We're a little bummed. That's great. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. We're still making our way through the crown. So we're finishing. finishing I crown. haven't even started that. I haven't even started. Oh, it's so good. So yeah. good. All right. You ready to do a quick chat? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Source of influence. Here we go. Welcome to the CXR channel, our premier podcast for talent acquisition and talent management. Listen in as the CXR community discusses a wide range of topics focused on attracting, engaging, and retaining the best talent. We're glad you're here. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Chris Wick, president of CXR and your host for the next 20 minutes or so uh, on the CXR Recruiting Community podcast show. Now, if you're new to us, uh, we do about 20 minute conversations where we're talking about something that's top of mind for someone in the space. It could be a recruiting leader, uh, practitioner, uh, could be somebody sort of running the show over to consulting uh, organization or just just I, I think you're going to see we've got one coming up, too, with an uh, uh, industry analyst and economist. So. Either way, all of the conversations that we're chatting about and we're, and we're connecting with leaders on have to do uh, with something in the space within recruiting, within that recruiting industry. So what's top of mind for them? We try to keep them, like I said, at about 20 minutes, but we do stream them live anywhere you're listening to a podcast. Uh, so it might be on iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Uh, but we're also on LinkedIn streaming live, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and of course, cxr.works slash podcast. If you are on LinkedIn live with us, uh, you can go ahead, I think YouTube as well, you can go ahead and drop some questions you might have for today's guest uh, or comments you'd like to add to the show there in the chat, and we are happy to include them. We'll even do a fancy schmancy uh, overlay, sort of showing uh, showing you off a little bit uh, if we can and feature you in the show. Uh, as a reminder, we don't do ads. This is not a pay-to-play podcast, so what you see is what you get. If we bring somebody in uh, who maybe isn't a practitioner, uh, uh, but who is in the vendor space or the solution space, it's because we like what they have to say. Uh, and we think they're doing some pretty cool stuff that deserves getting some eyeballs. Uh, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and welcome. And I'll have to, you're going to have to keep me honest on this, Susan. Is it your is it your first time on the show? It is my first time on the show. I think so. Not you're not a stranger to Career Crossroads, and certainly any That's of the right. meetings, uh, writer workshops that we do. But we're excited to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, and um, a big fan of the work that that you all do too. Well, thanks. Well, so so today is kind of an interesting one. 
but before before we jump in, and it, it is a fun topic, but before we jump in, uh, for those who maybe Susan don't know you, can you kind of give us the escalator pitch of who is Susan Lamott and what is exactly Owen? Why should we care what, what Susan has to say? Yeah, for sure. So um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. I'm Susan Lamott. I'm the founder and CEO of Exactly We are an employer brand and experience consulting firm. So what that means is that we every day um, are on a mission to transform the employment relationship. So the relationship that you have with your employer, that candidates have with potential employers in three ways, through insight, brand, and experience. So that means that we work with our clients to understand the relationship through research and insight. We help them build and market their employer brands by really defining what is that shared and authentic perception they have as an employer. And then we help them strengthen and sustain the relationships they have with candidates and employers through candidate and employee experiences. And I've been doing this for, gosh, a little over 20 years. Um, prior to starting Exacquio, I was the global employer brand and marketing leader for Marriott International. I spent some time um, running day-to-day talent acquisition for Ritz-Carlton. And I live and work with my husband here in Charleston, South Carolina, where we raise our, our two kids. And um, it's going to be 70 degrees here today. So I'm <laughs> happy, happy for warm Novembers. Yeah, we've had a cold front in Austin. It's actually 70 this morning, so it's quite nice. <laughs> a chilly front. Put that sweater on, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I think I met you when you were working that power brand. I think that's when we met, yeah? Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, it's good stuff. Always doing really good work. So, so Susan, we're going we're gonna to talk today, uh, and maybe we set a baseline bef- before this quick chat on, and we've talked yeah. about this, this term called source of influence. Yeah. But, but let's start with maybe... Let's start with maybe talking about what sort source of hire has looked like and sort of the state of source of hire over the last number of years. Do you have an opinion on uh, how wonderful, reliable, broken, dysfunctional, get one way or the other on source of hire for, for recruiting? Well, if you've been in the space as long as you and I have, I don't want to date you, but you know, we've been You're in not the, space the first long person time. to say they didn't want to date me, Susan. It's fine. <laughs> I'm a married woman, Chris. I'm a married woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As, as you are taken, I know too. Um, nonetheless, um, if you have been in the space a long time, you know that um, the source of higher term comes from the use of an applicant tracking system, right? And we didn't invent applicant tracking systems to make lives better for candidates. We did it for ourselves as employers, right? Track EEO data to make AAP um, planning easier. And so what happened is we started just creating these lists, right? A drop down for a candidate to say, here's where I found you. And we've never really changed that over time. So these long lists have become really dated. They've become really dysfunctional and they make it really challenging to actually get good data. And that's what I'm in the business of doing, right? Is helping our clients find good data. So I think that's why I get so frustrated by source of hire because we spend so much time on it. We report on it. It influences what we do. And yet the data, the way it's collected is kind of meaningless as is. Oh, 100%. I will tell you, um, I used to be uh, a big fan of source of higher data early in my, my data analytics days. And I yeah. will remember, I even remember the cubicle that I was sitting in uh, when yeah. I had this revelation. We were looking at our source of higher report that we'd been basing uh, like monies on. We had been tying budgets to some of the data that was coming out of it. Uh, yeah. And I had, a, I had a, a network technician job in, I think it was Anchorage. And the oh source goodness. of hire for that 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 role 
was the Black Collegiate Magazine. And I, and I looked at that and I thought, well, that can't be right for a couple of reasons, right? But, yeah. but most importantly, why is that we had not run an ad in that magazine for years. Mm-hmm. And so to have found a job that didn't exist years ago to be tied to a source that we hadn't used for, you know, it was well, a hot mess. And we realized yeah. what we had done is that the candidates were picking the very first choice when we when we present them with the drop down of where they came from. They're just picking That's them right. in alphabetical order. That's right. And sometimes because it's required, right? It's got that little red asterisk. 100% so we made it required. Yeah. Right. And we, you know, early on in those days too, the application process was really long because we just kept adding steps because we wanted more information. The longer it got, the less candidates actually paused to look at a question. It was just click, click, click and get through it. Yeah. So that was part of the problem too, I think. Yeah. I think the whole, the whole, the premise was okay, uh, but the process was broken. Yeah. And then I think we had some vendors come out and, and introduce us to the idea of uh, first source, last source, mm. right? The most recent source and the original yep. source. And then the idea for us to weight that, which one was more yep. important? Did we care? And then of course yep. that evolved into just tracking all the sources and trying to figure yep. out. Those. That's right. That's right. And then what you're looking at is this laundry list. And even if somebody picks a number of sources, you have no idea what level of influence that source actually had on the individual, right? You had no idea where in the journey that source appeared. So that also makes it hard to determine as we got more sophisticated as an industry from a marketing and brand perspective, it makes it really hard to determine Mm -hmm. the levers to pull, right? It's like a series of levers. You're trying to decide when do I advertise here? When do I use this content? And not to mention all of the offline influences that we know exist. And so that's what has made Source of Hire so complicated and so meaningless at this point. Yeah. So are you thinking, here we go. We've got a little feedback in the stream here. Josh is saying candidate-driven responses are at best 10% accurate. That's right. Tracking is a must. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So are you thinking, Susan, that we're just, are we just done with it? Is it it time to just do away with Source of Hire or is is there something different you've got in mind? So I think Source of Hire is dead. I think it's long been dead. It's just part of so many existing applicant tracking systems. I think we have a challenge in our space that we lead with tech. So what happens is we go and buy an ATS. It has an existing sort of set of things that we can leverage. We see source of hire. We're like, oh, that's cool. We populate our sources and we call it a day. And that's a a big problem in HR in general is that we're leading with tech and not with strategy. And because source of hire is dead, it's not providing you the value. And instead, where the value really comes is determining how a human being thinks and feels across that entire journey. So we've moved away long from source of hire and we're focused on source of influence, which is what our friends in marketing do and have done for over a decade. All right. So so you're going to have to break that down a little bit. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and kind of kind of explain that to the, the viewers and the listeners uh, and, and some mm-hmm. clarity on that. When we move, when we shift from source of hire to source of influence, what yeah. measures influence? How do you count how somebody was influenced by a source or two? Can you walk us through it? Yeah, for sure. So if we first unpack what it, what actually is influence, influence essentially is the ability to inspire action. 
So if you're trying to influence someone, right? So if I'm trying to influence my husband to do the laundry, I'm trying to inspire him to clean up that mess of clothes on the floor, right? I thought thought we were just... The laundry fairy came through and it magically got done. I don't understand. I wish if you have one of those, please, for Christmas, I would really love a laundry fairy. Um, But nonetheless, nonetheless, that's what influence is. We have to unpack what influence is first. Then we have to pause and say, okay, if ultimately as talent acquisition leaders, we're trying to simply put, get people to be aware of, apply for, and take our jobs in the, we know it's more complex than that, right? But in the mm-hmm. simplest manner, we have to figure out how do we influence them along the way? So rather than finding out where their last click was before mm-hmm. they actually applied for the job, it's much more valuable to unpack how they were influenced across the journey itself. And so I always tell people to start by looking first at the actual candidate journey and what that looks like. So if you want to pop that up, you can, Chris. Yeah, um, we've got a slide here. Uh, for it's those helpful to think through that. Yeah, for those who are listening, we're going to walk through it. We've got a slide here that Susan's presented and she'll help us out with it. Yeah, so this is, um, I'll walk you through what you see here. This is the candidate and employment journey, right, through what we call the full life cycle. So if you start in the top right from candidate experience, it goes from understanding understanding that you actually exist as a company. There's a lot of organizations that that's their biggest challenge. Being attracted to actually be interested in the role, learn more to then actually have a preference for it, apply, interview, and then ultimately feel a sense of belonging because you've made a decision to accept accept the job. You're actually having impact and contribution then into your actual employment journey managing your career, growing your career, and then either transitioning to another role in the organization, right? Internal mobility or transitioning out. So that's that outer ring. And then along the way, you are influenced constantly by the organization, by your managers, by the people you work with, and by the job itself, right? You might start out Mm -hmm. in one job and you're really loving it. Two years later, you don't love it so much anymore and it's influencing you to look somewhere else. So this is the simplest way to think about source of influence. As you go through this journey, what are all of the things that are constantly coming at you online and offline to help you make decisions to take or to, to keep a job? So, so Susan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of be a little bit, and we for those who didn't notice, Jerry has joined us from the peanut gallery. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to the show, Jerry. Thank you. <laughs> So uh, I get, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. Like th- this is yeah. a lot of soft, uh, soft mm. tracking here. So, so how yeah. do I tie this to something measurable? How, how do I loop this, loop this in so that I can tie it to my budget so that I have something to, to bring back to the team or bring back to the leadership or bring back to the purse strings holders and say, this is where we should invest more on this, this source of influence or that source of influence. So think about the journey itself. If you are managing talent acquisition anywhere, you have a budget and you're applying that budget from a brand and marketing perspective in all of these places. So Mm -hmm. for example, on the retention side, you might be applying from internal mobility, right? Especially if you have a hiring freeze right now, you might be putting some of your dollars to marketing internally to people who might be considering leaving, right? That's one sphere of influence, if you will. 
you might be marketing to active job seekers, people who are in the job market right now. They have that circle around their LinkedIn profile that says open to work. That's another area you might be spending budget. You might be spending budget on people who are actively in the job application process, right? They're going through your journey right now and you're spending money on content to influence them. Or you might be spending money on people who've made the decision to make sure that they actually follow through. They don't ghost you on day one. So you've got this branding and marketing budget. You're spending it across the journey. How do you know where to spend it? How do you know where you're getting the best bang for your buck? How do you know what actually is making a difference? You can look at basic stuff, right? Are people clicking on it? But is it actually working? When someone clicks on a piece of content, how does it make them feel? That's the other level to influence is thinking about how, what information is it giving? How does it make me feel? What emotion is it bringing up in me? And then what action is it inspiring me to take? So this is where you can get really concrete and you can specifically determine through testing, through research, figure out what actual actions you're taking are making a difference in your journey. What I, what I love about this um, is that you're, you're focusing in on decision elements, in my opinion, mm -hmm. that, that, um, that more and more candidates should be pushed to, if you will to make right. better decisions for themselves currently and in the future. Um, uh, the, the one, the one devil's advocate thing I would have is, is yeah. your definition of influence in my opinion is, is, um, the word inspire can be misunderstood. For and sure. So I think, I think we're causing influencing is causing, uh, action. And mm -hmm. when those actions are focused in on improvement of that individual's decision making, if you will, by moving them through a set of um, uh, act, either activities or knowledge or whatever it is that you're investing in uh, mm -hmm. to help them, then you're really empowering them to make better decisions. And so the net result is going to be a very positive affect of, of them toward you and you toward you know the career that you've taken to do those kinds of things uh, because you're not only helping your employer but you're also helping the people that that are making those choices and decisions that are better but it's not inspiring it's more empowering in my opinion and i i think that's a, just a subtle difference it's i think it's an important difference i'm glad you bring that up because i think it's also comes back to the organization and what your goals are what you're trying to do Right. And so it, it may depend on the organization, but I, I think it's an important difference. I like the replacement of the word empower. I think the yeah. other piece you mentioned is that positive action. And so I think it's also really important to figure out what are people doing right now? What's influencing them and what actions are they taking as a result? So you can determine is that positive for your organization? So this what you see on the screen is sample data from a client. Um, where we actually went through a measured source of influence for them throughout the journey. So now it allows them to determine, is this the kind of influence they want to have? So for example, mm -hmm. if you look at the bottom right, we found out that the biggest influences on accepting an offer at this particular client were the brand reputation, benefits, schedule flexibility, and work from home options. That's a fact, right? Data is a fact. The client now has to decide, is this why we want people to accept offers here? 
And if it's not, they can adjust their branding and marketing to influence that. They can make specific procedural or policy changes, or they can double down and say, wow, we didn't realize our brand reputation had such a level of influence. Now they can pull that through other parts of the journey. So Susan, what, I mean, what, I, what I'm interpreting here is a lot of this is collected through uh, research done with the candidates, right? Either, and I'm assuming not, not just those that get the job, but, but that candidate body, uh, the folks who have expressed yeah. interest in that role and at least move forward at some stage, yeah? That's right, and with employees too. So doing candidate research sometimes can be expensive because if you're not capturing them on your career site, you've got to actually go out and source those candidates, especially if you want data from people who have never heard about you or who are have left the journey before you've actually captured their data. So that's, and that can be really expensive. Um, so on the flip side of that, you can use new hires, you can use your existing employees that are you know a year in, or you can use existing employees that are going through internal mobility or have gone through internal mobility and get your data that way. Or you can use existing employees and ask them, what are they sharing with friends and colleagues? That's another way to get the data. And that way you at least can be informed on multiple levels and also be respectful of budgets. Research is not cheap. Um, and I tell people all the time, when you go and do this kind of research, especially you know technology right before this sort of tech recession hit, everybody wanted data on how, how can we attract more engineers to our company? And in particular markets, if you go to, let's say, San Francisco or Seattle or Chicago or New York, you're paying $250 to $500 for an hour of someone's time to make it worth their while. Yeah. Multiply that by the right representative sample, and you might be spending 70 grand just to get their attention before you've even done the work itself. And so I gotta, market I, research is expensive. Yeah, and I got to tell you, as a former practitioner, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't see me coughing up 70K of my budget, which is already tight, especially now, on something yeah. as fluffy, right? As, as yeah. something as fluffy as source of influence. But if you can tie it to actual impact. So rather than starting big, start small. Pick one particular audience in your organization that everybody's having trouble recruiting. Find a manager, a hiring manager, or someone you've got a good relationship with that you can say, I want to do this test with you, right? I know we're having trouble. Are you, do you like the idea of data? Here's the kind of data I can collect for you. And then have them help share the budget, right? So you go into it together. You get a really good data set. You show the impact of changing your activity through A-B testing. And then you go back to the organization and say, hey, look what we were able to do or you know, supply chain technology, or whatever small area of the organization you made the impact with. And that can be really helpful too, and an easy way to show the value. If consumer marketers do it all the time and they show the value, we should be able to do the same thing and we should get the same amount of budget. Yeah, well, we should. <laughs> it doesn't always work like that. Look, I, right. I think a great reminder, Susan, of folks that they should take pilots, like small mm -hmm. pilots. Uh, yeah. And those are usually a lot easier to get approved uh, within corporate, but to take a small function and run with that uh, and maybe yeah. do it on a much smaller scale. Susan, is there is there anybody you could out as doing this well? I know you've you shared some of the stats from one of your customers. I don't know if you want to you want to out them uh, if they'd be OK with that. But is, is there an organization that we can sort of be keeping an eye on that is leaning more towards influence than than source of hire than traditional source? 
Yeah, so I can't out anybody, but I can share another large multinational um, uh, B2B company, I'll say, that we work with. They are doing research at regular intervals, and that is Mm. also the key. One of the hardest parts I think about working in HR is that we collect data typically once a year, right, through an engagement survey. Or we're collecting it in really small functional bits, like if we're using a candidate survey on our career site. We're not looking at a holistic data set like they do in market research. So I think it's really important to think about why we collect data in the first place and what we want to do with it. True data scientists will tell you it's about patterns and looking for those changes in patterns over time to drive meaningful impact to bottom line or whatever it might be. That's what your consumer researchers will tell you. And yet in HR, we do one engagement survey, we try to hit a benchmark, and we call it a day. So no wonder we're not seeing you know any of that meaningful change. Um, but that recurring market research is the most important trend. Even if you can only do it in small bits, you can get a research sample in your organization and you mm-hmm. can test those individuals six, seven, 12, 15 times a year. And they come to expect it, right? They've either been specially selected, right? Or it's part of their job, or you pay them in the case of hourly workers, you pay them a little extra to participate. They've been pre repeatable. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, well, I think For that's sure. a brilliant call out. I mean, we're already doing uh, we're already doing surveys on some level within the organizations, uh, even though they yeah. are sort of disparate, like the, the time frame between them uh, is usually usually pretty regular, but not often. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would bet that most organizations have at least one function that they are recruiting for that would be willing uh, to take the chance and, and give a pilot like this a try. I think so, especially if they've run out of options. So I would look for a function that is desperate. They're always hiring. Either they have evergreen recs or they just can never fill positions. They've always got open positions. A function where the manager or the leader of the function likes the first mover advantage. They like to be the one to show their peers, right, at the manager executive level, hey, look what I did, right? Or look what we're doing. They don't mind being that first mover and they're willing to take risks. And then someone who's got budget, right? You've got to look to the corners of your organization who tends to have budget. Who do you know always has extra at the end of the year? And by the way, right now is a great time because if your organization is on that calendar year fiscal year, they're getting ready to have budget that they need to either use or lose. So it's a really good time to say, hey, can we earmark some of that to do a data study? Yeah. And it's a, you know, that's a, a way to get some dollars. It doesn't have to be your own budget if you're servicing your internal clients. Yeah, it's a great call. Susan, for, the, for those who are listening or watching uh, on the stream, where could they learn a little bit more about Source of Influence? Anywhere you'd point them, uh, even if it's your own site or the research that you guys have done, you begin to implement uh, or another resource. Is there somewhere you'd point them? I have a, we have a couple of blog posts that we've done because it's a topic that's not talked a lot about in our space. So I'll send those over to you after um, the podcast and you can share them with your listeners um, and I'll post them on my own LinkedIn channel. Um, in a or my own LinkedIn um, uh, page in just a few minutes, and that way that they they can link to it and understand what it is. I also always recommend go talk to your marketing colleagues. If you work in an organization, especially one that's got a strong marketing team, there's mm-hmm. no better way to learn than to build that relationship with the marketing team. Ask them how they're doing market research. 
um, when we worked with Geico, and this is public knowledge, um, the CMO at the time, he's no longer CMO, he told me they spend a billion dollars, billion with a B on ad buy, and a million dollars on the talent acquisition side on ad buy. And so as soon as we heard that nugget, we said to the team, hey, go learn everything you can from your marketers. Yeah. Go figure out what are they measuring and how is what they're measuring actually influencing action and affecting the bottom line. And then we were able to take those lessons and port them over to talent acquisition so they could make better strategic decisions about that million bucks and it helped them grow their budget. The only, the only caveat for me between marketing for a consumer product and marketing for a job is the fact that the sources of influence that you choose are based upon uh, that those those elements that I think are are responsible for better decisions by by candidates, whereas the marketer hmm. for the product very often looks for the kinds of influence that might not necessarily mean a good decision is being made, but somebody is still buying the damn product. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I wouldn't want someone to invest heavily in being, I don't know, because recency is important and the last thing yeah. that you saw is what you would buy. So therefore yep. we spend money to be the last thing you see. Yep. And and then you're making you're helping people make decisions for the wrong reasons as opposed to the right reasons. And what I love about your approach is you first determine the right reasons or the, the right elements that should be looked mm -hmm. at in order to make a better decision. And then the degree to which we're helping the candidate go through that process or find out where they are in the process and help them get to yeah. the next level. And, and to me, that is an element that marketing would say, oh, yeah, but he, here's a way to make yeah. them, you know, go right through that and choose us immediately all for the wrong yeah. reason. Does that make well, sense? Well, that's the old, it makes perfect sense. It's the old, you know, sort of get as much volume into the funnel as you can. Yeah. But that is the big difference, right? Marketers are trying to sell to the many. We're ultimately trying to narrow it down to one person for a job, right? Right. So I think it's taking the lessons of how they do it, right? Understanding what is market research and then adapting it for the different style and the different aim and goals we have and outcomes we're trying to drive. We have value-based marketing is what we have or should yeah. have. And, yeah. and that's not necessarily bought into by our colleagues on the other side on it. Well, you yeah. know, some do. But not necessarily all. You're, I think you're 100% right. And I think when employment branding six or seven or eight or whatever years ago it was, it's all a blur, really began to bubble up and, and tried to partner with the consumer side. The consumer side early days just wasn't having it because anything, anything outside of their, their area of expertise was a distraction from the buy button. It was 100% a distraction from getting somebody to click the buy button, take it off the shelf and buy it like... That was a distraction. We took away from the billions with the B uh, that yep. they were spending. But I think over the last half a decade or so, we've really seen some of that come around. And Susan, I, I, I have a crystal memory of you and I at a conference talking about how we were beginning to see people come out of the CPG side or out of the consumer marketing side yep. and move into recruiting, right? And we can name yeah. a handful of folks that we still remember were some of the first to do that. And I yep. had a talk with a leader just yesterday who said they have hired 
their payroll. They hired a marketing person that will report directly into marketing, but dotted line to them. And that was the agreement that they made for just that reason to make sure there's some cross learning, right? And some yeah. knowledge there across there, because to Jerry's point, I think they don't have the same objectives. They're never yeah. going to have the same objectives, nor will I think they ever have the same budgets, but there is an awful lot of expertise. Uh, and I think candidate care and customer care that, that can cross both ways. Absolutely. We have a client right now who is the CMO. Um, it was the organization I was talking about earlier, one of the largest Fortune 500 companies, multi-billion dollar company, and our main client is the CMO. And we work with the CHRO as well, but the CMO is owning this because ultimately what she knows is that the employees have to deliver on the brand. So the way that they're influenced and the experience they have as candidates into them, the employment journey directly affects her remit, right, yeah. as a CMO. Yep. I think the difference is that, Jerry, you talked about, right, this human element of the employment relationship. I mean, ultimately, the employment puts a roof over our head, right? It puts food on our tables. Like, there's nothing more Maslowian than, Maslowian than that. And so for us, when we think about influence, it's not just influence to click, right? That's pretty pedestrian. I think there's a lot of talent acquisition professionals, employer brand professionals that are, are doing that. They're trying to drive clicks. And I appreciate that and value that. But I think it's taking it up a level and really understanding that influence is all about the human connection. So we talk about influence on three levels, the individual level, the group level, and the organization level. So that's also another way to think about source of influence in your organization through the talent acquisition journey is where are people influencing candidates one-on-one -on -one and how are you working with them on that influence? Every recruiter conversation is influential, right? So are we recording our, our um, recruiters? Are we asking them to tell us, how do they tell the story of the company? Get 10 recruiters around a table. I guarantee you they'll tell 10 different stories. What's the commonality? What's the consistency? How do we want to influence candidates? At the organizational le at the organizational level, right? You've got like a career fair or a career event. And you might or at the group level, I should say. And so you might have multiple people from an organization talking about the organization or employment in different ways. And then you've got the organizational level, right? Your career site, all the things that are coming out at that level. That's really important too. So I think sometimes when we think about influence, we're thinking only about the organizational level. What are we putting on our social channels, right? What are we doing on our career site? That's the easy stuff we can control, especially if we're a manager or an individual contributor sitting in talent acquisition. But the other stuff is equally, if not more influential. And our data tells us you have anywhere between eight to 20 plus influences on your journey to take and keep a job. So how do we control all of those influences? How do we understand the level of impact they're making? That's where I think the, the real exciting challenge lies for organizations. It is. And I still think the biggest hurdle to that, I think once you get a little momentum in an organization, right, within a function within that organization, I think you're on to something. Uh, yeah. I still think uh, probably uh, the biggest hurdle in sort of shifting that mindset or is going to be collecting that data. And, and yeah. arguing about the burden that that will then put on the candidate or, you know, the customer or the employee mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, whatever discipline you want to, you want to rein yeah. it under. I think that will yeah. be the biggest challenge, either to wrap your head around or, or to sell internally. I think we'd also, I'd, I would hypothesize that one of the largest 
values that we, that we, we really are not measuring is, is our ability to, if our ability to influence candidates' decision is focused in on what's best for them, then a lot of them mm -hmm. will understand better why we're not going forward with them. And some of them who could go forward with us may decide it's not the right time to go forward with us. And the okay. impact of that is going to be very hard to measure. But what it means is that people we don't hire <coughs> may, in fact, raise their view of us mm -hmm. and our employer brand to a level that does add value to us somewhere, either in the yeah. consumer side or in the referral side to others who mm -hmm. could be joining us and reducing the friction of recruiting as a result yeah. of that. I don't know how to necessarily see, I've never seen anybody really measure this well. So, but if we could, I would hypothesize that may be the highest return on investment that we could have. Yeah. So Jerry, we measure that all the time in our research through focus groups. So to your point earlier, Chris, an easy way to start or to get the attention in your organization, go back to that high need function, you know, within the organization, have your executives sit in on, sit in or listen in blind to a focus group, get eight to 10 candidates in a room. It's not a huge investment mm -hmm. and have them talk through their journey, right? There are, there's a science behind it, right? You can't just get them together and start asking questions. There is a science to focus group research for sure. And watch that executive's perspective change when they start to see the value. When you ask an individual, um, you didn't get the job, you know, here at ABC organization. How did yeah. that make you feel? Who did you talk to? What did they tell you? Did they tell you why you didn't get the job? How did that make you feel? After you were declined from our organization, what did you do? Did you tell anyone you didn't get the job? What did you tell them? Seriously, That's a really that. simple way to get started. Right? It is, Small but the group, key, the key I want to, you cannot emphasize this enough. The key is you're talking to people you did not hire. And, That's right. and while you may be doing that, there's very few companies I've ever seen even attempted. So, yeah, well, so I'm, I would encourage that for sure. Yeah. And I, I want to, the flip side of this too, and I'll throw it up on the screen because we have a little bit of a chat going on in, a, in the sidebar here uh, out on LinkedIn. Yes. So, uh, and I'll put it up on the screen so you can see it, Susan. So uh, hey. we've got Ellie Cohen, PHRSHRMCPCPZXYZ, who says, what about the brand of the actual recruiter, right? In terms of what they're yeah. posting and communicating, right? What about the brand and the company and the influence that they present? Uh, is, is there anything you maybe would add to that concern? Because I do think that is part of the influence, right? And, and sort of where that comes from, whether we're attracting or repelling the candidates on that front. So I will connect that back to where employer brand sits in an organization. If you have an employer brand leader that's got an, a managerial remit, right? They have power, control, relationships, and influence as a leader in the talent acquisition organization they can then be responsible for, have authority and budget to be looking at recruiter brand. Because Ellie's right, that matters. But if you have an individual, you know, contributor, employer brand, manager, or associate sitting at a really low level, they're not going to be able to influence the recruiters. They might point it out. They might be able to give the recruiters more things. They might go into Canva, create more talking points or visuals recruiters can use an email they won't be able to affect their brand. 
Um, Now they can do brand training. That's certainly one thing that, you know, we'll often do with clients or organizations will do. I think Allison Cruz has done that at Baxter. Um, That's one way to do it depending on the level in the organization, but, but she's spot on. That's that individual level of influence. One of my favorite podcasts, we're going to do some best stuff here as we get into the holiday season, but one of my favorites that we picked was a podcast we had with Allison on, so it'd be fun to do a replay yeah. of it. Yeah. All right, so Susan, I know we're way, way over time, and I'm so grateful of the time you gave us today, but I got to ask you, just like we ask every, every guest that's on the show that we enjoy, if you were going to write a book about this topic, what would the title of that book be for you? Oh... That's a tough one. I think it would have to particularly be about what really makes you tick, what makes you act, what makes you do what you do. So something about, you know, that sort of influence to actually take action. Maybe Jerry said it best earlier, empower to act. What's going to empower you? What's going to make you motivate? People with their hearts are lazy. So what's going to make them click on something, right? What's going to make them connect? I love that. Well, okay. So now I got to ask you, who, who's going to get the first signed copy? Oh, Jerry, of course. There he goes. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know if Jerry wants more books, right? If you're downsizing Jerry, I don't know that you want to add he, to the bookshelf. He might trade you signed copy for signed copy. He's got a couple of books under his own belt. Yeah, that's there right. That's right. <laughs> I would keep yours for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's been a while since I've written a book. And once you've gone through it, it is, it's like birthing a child and I have two already. So I don't know that I want to have a fourth. You forget the pain a little bit later. You forget the pain. Yes, very much so. so. Hang out again, much gratitude for you joining us. Uh, We really appreciate catching up with you. And we love when you're able to attend uh, any of the workshops or the webinars we do. I know that our membership's a big fan. Uh, So just hang out for a little bit. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to just give a couple of people uh, some heads up what we've got ahead. I'm going to throw you in the green room. Jim, I'll put you in there with her too. How about that? That is, I got the puppet master skills over here with what we've got going on. Look, I just, uh, I want to remind everybody before we let go, uh, if you're not already a part of Career Crossroads and that community, it's 5,000 recruiting leaders and professionals in there, over 130 companies and brands in there. Head over to CXR.Works and see if you qualify. Check out what you're missing. See if you qualify to connect and join. Uh, And I also want to remind everybody, uh, look, it's a tough time right now near the end of the year. We know there's an awful lot of displacement going on in the recruiting industries and recruiters that are uh, being laid off, uh, removed from their roles. So we're going to ask that you pass along the URL CXR.Works slash jobs. As of this morning, 197 recruiting jobs at those membership companies that they're hiring for, uh, all the way all the way up to vice president of talent in there from coordinator to VP, believe it or not. So cxr.works slash jobs, you're gonna check that out. cxr.works slash podcast, listen to the other podcasts that we've done, be aware of the ones that are coming up and you can subscribe literally anywhere else that you listen. And then lastly, I'm just gonna tell you cxr.works slash events. You can see the calendar of what we've got coming up for next year. Live meetings and virtual are beginning to get populated in there. So watch that page for updates. And with that, we're going to say thank you, everybody. And we will see you on a Best Up show coming up. And we've got an analyst, uh, economist coming up next week. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the CXR channel. Please subscribe to CXR on your favorite podcast resource and leave us a review while you're at it. Learn more about CXR at our website, cxr.works, facebook.com and twitter.com slash career crossroads and on Instagram at career X roads. We'll catch you next time.